You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. For today comes from Luke, chapter 2, verses 15 to 38, and you can find it on page 909 in the Bibles that are available. Luke, chapter 2, verse 15 to 38. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward 
to the redemption of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mel. I mentioned we are in the season of Advent and we have been tracking the great themes of Advent. Uh, the first week we looked at hope and then last week at peace, today at joy and next week at love. We're going to focus on joy today and we're thinking about how the first and second arrivals of Jesus shape our experience of joy and give us reason to experience joy in the here and now, in the, in the in-between. All of life for the Christian church from its very beginning until its end are lived in, is lived in the in-between, is in-between advents. So this morning, thinking about joy, I wonder, I'd, I'd love you to yell out uh, a couple of uh, answers for me. What, what do you... Let me put it this way. What, what events in your life have given you joy, brought you joy? Just throw them out to me. Marriage. Child. Birth of a child. Fatherhood 2017 grand final. Okay. Favorite food. Good. Travel. Seeing Collingwood lose the 2018 grand final. Okay. I think we can all agree that that's the right answer. Amen? Amen? Good. All right. A few good answers there. We're going to talk this morning about how we can cultivate joy in this in-between time that we live in. I, I was flicking through my photo album and um, just uh, reliving moments of joy from the past. And I just, I, I, I got to share with you just a clip from a video from Christmas morning, because as, as a father, Christmas morning brings great joy. To see little kids experience like the, um, that, that every little kid for about a month to maybe 11 months has been looking forward to this morning of joy when it comes to Christmas morning and uh, I think I've got a clip here from 2015. There's my boy Judah. So the, the revelation of some, you know, long hoped for gift brings joy to children, maybe even to adults on Christmas morning. And that's something we should delight in. That's a good gift from God. It's a kind of echo of his greatest gift, as Briley was talking about, the, the gift of salvation it has its kind of echo in these, this experience of the, um, the smaller gifts that we receive through this life. I want to talk first about the first advent and what is it about the first advent 
the birth of Jesus that brings us joy in the here and now. And I was just looking through the first couple of chapters of Luke as I was thinking about the reading for this morning, and I just noticed these different experiences, these different emotional responses to, uh, that people had in the first century to the birth of Jesus. So let me just read a couple for you. So a couple from Luke chapter 1 and, and a few from, from Luke chapter 2. Luke sort of, as a historian, loves to, um, he kind of is a, a kind of journalistic in the way that he writes Luke's gospel in the book of Acts. He likes to get first-person accounts from eyewitnesses. And so he, he first speaks of Mary in the, uh, the Magnificat, as we, uh, we looked at last year. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Think about, contemplate the emotions that these people are experiencing. And again from Luke chapter 1, from uh, Zechariah, it says, He was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has visited and provided redemption for His people. Luke chapter 2, the angel says to the shepherds, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim you, to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And from our reading this morning, Simeon, now master, you could dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And Anna, as well, in the temple, came up and began to thank God and speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. So this consistent emotional experience that people have when they encounter Jesus, God incarnate, is our feelings of, well, these great themes of Advent. Primarily joy, because we talked last week about just the... the um, the yearning, the longing, the groaning that Israel had experienced for centuries, looking forward to God's promised Messiah, his anointed one, the one who would come and provide redemption for Israel. Now, it's true, the Messiah that they got wasn't exactly the Messiah that they expected, but all of them had been experiencing this great longing. And here, at the first advent, they realize, some of them realize, some of these that Luke has highlighted realize who Jesus is. They see him for who he is and their response is great joy. How much more do you, Christian, in 2023, do you who have the whole uh, canon of scripture, what they saw in kind of part what they saw uh, revealed by the Spirit in the moment, what they saw as God's deliverance on His promise, you have in full here four Gospels telling you exactly who Jesus was. The rest of the Bible after it reminding you of God's promises which have their yes in Jesus. We have more reason than these first believers had for rejoicing in the first advent. Something we have to overcome as Christians today is this hardening of our hearts towards Christmas. Part of it is just sheer exhaustion because of what we have made Christmas to be. 
And part of it is just the fact that familiarity breeds contempt. And so we really have to work hard to rediscover the joy of Christmas, rediscover the joy of the first advent of Jesus. That's kind of like a little project that all of us need to take on between now and Christmas Day and then every year thereafter. Because the truth is, God becoming human so that he might die in the place of humanity for their salvation and redemption and final restoration, that is good news. That should, that, I mean, to be honest, my little India seeing a trampoline, if she's expressing more joy than we are when we contemplate the first advent, then things are out of whack. There should be some people in the back of the church right now just jumping up and down. Messiah! We have to work hard to recapture the wonder of the first advent. We did that on Thursday night. If you were here, we had a worship night and we were focused on the first advent. We were trying to capture the experience of the people of Israel as they waited for their Messiah. And we sang a lot of songs, a lot of carols that speak of this joy of the first coming of Jesus. We're going to do it again on the 21st, I think it is. Um, There's information out in the foyer if you want to know all of the things we're doing through Advent and Christmas. Uh, The next worship night we're going to have is again on Thursday night, and we're going to focus on the second coming of Jesus. So I really encourage you to come along. I know those who are here Thursday night would recommend it to you. So what about the second Advent? That's Jesus' first coming. The, The Christmas scene is familiar to us. What about his second coming? We have this in mind because we've preached through the whole book of Revelation this year, and that book kind of has its climax in the second coming of Jesus. What is it about the second advent that can shape our joy in this in-between time? Hopefully it's kind of obvious, right? Like all of your greatest desires, your yearnings, your longings will be satisfied in that second advent. If the people of Israel experienced joy at their, uh, the delivering of the Messiah at the first advent, then our joy will be that magnified at the second coming. Remember those a couple of passages from the book of Revelation, calling out to people who are thirsty to come and drink freely from the river of the water of life. That will be our experience at the second coming. A great and and honestly, for the first time in our lives, a true satisfaction of our souls. I was talking to a girl at the worship night the other night, and we were talking about her car and how cool her car is, and it's her first car, and it's, you know, it's a nice car, and talking about how she's working to pay it off, and talking about the accidents that she's had driving it, and I don't know, I was just impressed by this big truck that she's got and kind of a little bit jealous of it. And she said very profoundly, this young woman, yeah, but I'm still unhappy. It was like the promise of this amazing toy, this amazing possession, failed to deliver on the promise. 
which goes for every single thing that we experience in this life, even the best things, the things that you told me bring you joy, marriage and children and grand finals, all of those things fail to deliver on their promise ultimately, right? We're always left with a yearning and that is because you were made to be ultimately, eternally satisfied. You were made to experience the kind of joy that you can only experience in the new creation and now you're stuck in between advents and part of you is always going to be restless and unsatisfied. Not to mention the fact that this life that we live now is a kind of shadow lands. It's always under a, a blanket of suffering to one degree or another. So that's why Revelation 21 is so so beautiful to hear where it says that Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. First advent, second advent, both bringing joy, both shaping of our, our experience of joy, but this life in between, to, to be able to actually take a hold of joy, experience joy deeply, we're going to have to work for it. We're going to have to cultivate joy in the here and now. And that's really what I want to talk about for the rest of our time. The here and now, 2023, 2024, as long as you live on this earth between now and the day you die or the day that the second advent comes, how do we cultivate joy? I showed you a little graphic last week and pull that up, guys. The, the, the fact that the first and second advent, though they're, well, the first advent, 2,000 years removed for us, the, the second advent, I don't know, two days removed from us, 20,000 years removed from us, we don't know. But we live here and now kind of with both advents bleeding into the present, shedding light on the present, influencing and shaping the present. One of the songs that we sang, in fact the first song we sang this morning, Joy to the World, picks up on this fact. Let me just read a couple of verses for you. This is how the advent of Jesus shapes the here and now. It says, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. So that's a picture of the in-between that we're living in. We still experience the thorns and thistles of the curse that came with the fall of mankind. But Jesus' advent gives us hope that those things need not rule our lives. Thorns and thistles need not overcome and overwhelm our experience of joy. Then here and now, his blessings flow even where the curse 
is in evidence. And this is the truth of our experience in, in between. Right? It's, it's always both and. It's always both curse and blessing. We live in a tension. If you listen carefully to a lot of the really good Christmas carols, they have that flavor about them. The Apostle Peter writing to his church who was suffering greatly in the first century says this in chapter 1. Though you have not seen him, you love him. This is about Jesus. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So you have these people who are suffering greatly. You have these people who never saw Jesus with their own eyes, but they trust him, they believe in him. And what gives them an experience of joy in the midst of persecution and suffering is the fact that they are receiving, here and now in real time, the goal of their faith, the salvation of their souls the fundamental ground for our experience of joy in the here and now is the salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus. If that's not the cornerstone of your faith around which you can build joy in grand finals and marriages and birth of children and food, then the center will never hold. The ground will shift and those things will break up. But if you have that as the keystone, the foundation stone, the flagstone, Right? If you have that in place, then you can build these things around it and they can hold. So let me talk about three ways that we can cultivate joy in the here and now. Remember, cultivation is a great word because cultivating Vegetables or fruit, cultivating plants in the ground requires effort, but the produce is a gift beyond your ability to manufacture. So what can we do to prepare the ground, fertilize water, and then trust that God will bring forth the fruit? Cultivating joy, number one, thank God for happiness and ask God for joy. So whenever you experience happiness, whether it be because of something profound like the birth of a child or something kind of more shallow like that Christmas gift that you were hoping for, whatever it is, that experience of happiness, thank God, praise God. But make sure at the same time you ask him for joy. That is an experience that transcends mere circumstances. A lasting and deep experience of joy. Something that transcends experience. Something that isn't temporal based on how much sleep you had or how 
full your belly is or whether you got what you wanted for Christmas, but something that lasts. I was meeting with a couple of you guys this, earlier this week and this passage came up, which I just find to be so profound, from Habakkuk, one of the minor prophets, chapter 3. He says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen, and there are no herds in the stalls, yet will I celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my... Finish it. Salvation. So the ground of his rejoicing, his joy, is the immovable reality of his salvation. There's no fruit on the trees. There's no flocks in the fields. You know, in, in, that, in his day, that means there's no food in the tummy. Right? There's no nipping down to coals. And yet, he says, I will celebrate. It's great to celebrate if you've got a full table and drink in the cup. But he says, you can still celebrate in the Lord if you rejoice in the God of my salvation. Because that is a reality that transcends circumstance. So yes, thank God for happiness. I pray you would have as much happiness as a person can have in this life. Ask God for joy, deep, abiding, immovable, eternal joy. Number two, remember that life between advents is imperfect. Life between the first and second coming of Jesus is imperfect. You know from my reading of Revelation, that's the tribulation. All the time between the first and second coming of Jesus. It is a time of tribulation. It is a time both of, I don't know, plenty and a time of lack. It's a time of peace and a time of persecution. Knowing that and being able to shape your worldview and your expectations around that reality, I think, is one of the grounds for the experience of abiding joy. So here's my theory, and I don't, I'm not a psychologist. I probably know just enough to be dangerous, all right? But here's my theory, because th this, is, this is something that perplexes people who actually know what they're talking about, this fact. The fact that people in the West... Western civilization experience far greater levels of depression and anxiety than those people in the rest of the world. What that means is rich people experience more depression and anxiety than poor people. That makes a mockery of our whole kind of expectation of life, right? The more you have, the happier you are. That's our whole economic system is based on this fact. If you can earn enough to buy enough, then you'll be at ease. But what we observe 
contradicts that. The people who have the most seem to be the most unhappy. Now, here's, here's my theory, which may or may not be right. At least a part of this, this epidemic of depression among people who have everything that they could ever need, must be, I think, driven by the, the gap between our expectation and the reality. This is what I mean. I think we, because we've grown up in such plenty, have grown up with such ease, we somehow assume that our life should be perfect. We have an expectation that life will be good at all times. That's what the world has promised us. If you have stuff, you'll be happy. And then our experience of reality is we buy that new truck and a day later I'm dissatisfied. What's that about? All of the ads told me if I got the thing, then I would have happiness. So we live with this constant sense of disappointment, even though we have more of the good stuff than anyone has ever had in the history of the world. It's the collision of our expectations with reality. Now, if you grew up poor or grew up in the midst of civil war, you grew up in poverty and famine, then you don't have the expectation that everything's going to be just perfect and so you don't experience the crushing depression of the reality of the world, which is not perfection. Does that make sense? I think, I think there's something to that. There's a guy named Russ Harris who wrote, I think, a very helpful book called The Happiness Trap. And here's what he, he says about this. He says, the more we try to avoid the basic reality that all human life involves pain, the more we are likely to struggle with that pain when it arises, thereby creating even more suffering. Unfortunately, many people walk around with the belief that everyone else is happy except for them. And you guessed it. This belief creates even more unhappiness. So, it's the expectation that everything's going to be good because we've got everything that we could ever want. Married with the scrolling through everyone else's curated images of their version of perfection creates in us this turmoil like, I'm not like them. They, you know, they have like their, their marriage is perfect and their kids are well behaved and they're both in, they're all in great shape and the lighting's just right and they're at the beach and I'm, I've got this. Yeah. So coming to terms with reality. I, I'm, I'm the last one to be preaching this because I'm a chronic idealist. Like, I have a vision for the way life should be. It's pretty much everything after Revelation 21. I just expect that's how it should be right now. And so I'm constantly smashing into reality. The reality of this current life, this broken life, broken world, broken people, broken church. Broken me. What I need to, is just to realign 
my expectations, my worldview with what Scripture tells me. One of the reasons I believe in Christianity is because it makes sense. To me, it, when, from what I observe, if I just become a scientist for a minute, I wanted to be a zoologist when I was younger. And so the whole thing with zoology is you just, it's observation. It's just hours sitting in a paddock observing butterflies, all right? It's just observation. So pretend you're like a, a scientist. Observe the world for a week. Everything that you see, and I believe the Bible will make the best sense of what you observe. And the Bible says we live in the now and not yet. We have salvation, praise the Lord, but we have not yet been ushered into final restoration. We live between advents. Again, the Apostle Peter picks up on this in his letter to his suffering church. 1 Peter chapter 4. Dear friends, hear this. Dear friends. Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. That's my whole sermon. I could have just read that. <laughs> All right, number three, last one. Cultivating joy. If those first two are true, therefore, ground your joy in God's unwavering promises. It's a risky thing to hang everything on a promise. The promises that you have, have been made to you in this life uh, not always reliable. Certainly not the promises made to you by marketing firms, advertising. The promises that they make, like inevitably, prove to be false. Even the promises that are made to you by your best friends, the people that you love the most, can prove to be brittle, fragile, easily broken. But God's promises are unwavering. So if you're going to ground your joy in something, ground it in something that is objective, unfailing, reliable. Ground your joy in God's unwavering promises. The kinds of things that we seek an experience of joy from tend to be temporal. They tend to be circumstantial. They tend to be fleeting. But joy in God's promises is eternal, unwavering. 
I wonder if you've ever done a study on God's promises. Something I like to do, I know some of you do, is just print stuff out, put it on the wall. I like to handwrite it because I find that uh, you can recall things better when you've written them yourself rather than just hitting print. But anyway, however you like to do it, cover your walls with God's promises. Christians in the past have memorized them. They were better at that than we are. You might want to memorize it because you might find yourself in a jail one day with no access to a Bible in Myanmar or something. And at that point, you're going to want God's promises memorized. But in any case, get them in front of you. Because every day you receive thousands upon thousands of false promises. Just call it advertising. So you're bombarded by promises that tempt you to put your trust in flimsiness. Get enough of God's promises in front of you. I'm talking about the dashboard, the fridge, the toilet wall, whatever, like wherever you are, office space, skin. I don't have a tattoo, but I'm, I'm getting tempted just thinking about it. Get God's promises in front of you and take the time, make the effort to cultivate joy by getting them inside of you. That's how we cultivate joy. Let me remind you of a couple of, well, one really profound promise of God to finish and then I'm going to pray for us. This is from Romans chapter 8. Marios read it on Thursday night. Let me remind you of it here. Romans 8, 35 and then 38 to 39. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or anything that you're experiencing now, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, including me, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for happiness. The happiness that comes from meeting with one another and encouraging one another. That comes from the sharing of food after the service today, lunch, dinner, drink, and everything good that comes from you. And we pray for joy. We pray for deep abiding joy grounded in your unwavering, eternal, unbreakable promises. Help us, Lord, as we live in the in-between. Help us to grow deep grow our roots deep into joy.
as we approach this season of Christmas and the, the week leading up to Christmas, as many of us experience all kinds of emotions and not least the exhaustion that comes with having so many events and doing so much shopping and all of this chaos, Lord, in the midst of it, help us carve out a space for joy. We love you. We thank you for all that you're doing among us and all that you're going to do for your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, take, take some time now just to stay in your seats. Listen to the words of this song. Ask God to grant you that gift of deep joy. This song in verse 3 says, It will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. So we're just going to take some time to just think about how, how wonderfully marvelous his love is for us.
fall. 